1: When one thinks of Black Friday, they think of large crowds, stampeding shoppers and underpaid retail workers just trying to make it through their shifts. But before it was dominated by rampant commercialism, Black Friday defined several terrible events in human history. One of which, however, forged the suffragettes of the United Kingdom into hardened warriors, not only armed with protest signs and slogans, but with a new set of skills to deliver some much-needed justice. On November 18th of 1910, 300 women marched through the streets of London. Their destination was the Houses of Parliament. Their mission? Voting rights for women. Legislation had been introduced which would grant the right to vote to one million British women. But the Prime Minister wouldn't hear it. The Women's Social and Political Union, or the WSPU, refused to accept his decision, and a protest ensued. As they stormed Parliament's front door, the police stepped in and began violently arresting protesters. Many were assaulted by officers, and two were killed in the pursuit of equality. As a result of the police's actions, the WSPU realized that they would need to protect themselves going forward. Worried about their physical safety, many began wrapping cardboard around their ribs prior to attending protests. Others, though, wanted to make sure they could handle themselves in a fight. If they were going to be thrown to the ground and attacked, they would go down swinging. And that was where Edith Garud came in. She was barely 5 feet tall, but she knew just how to address the injustice that her fellow suffragettes were facing. She and her husband William were jiu-jitsu instructors. They were both supposed to attend a WSPU meeting that followed the Black Friday incident, but William had been too sick to attend, so Edith went alone. She demonstrated how, even though a woman might be smaller or lighter than her male attacker— she could leverage his own momentum against him and incapacitate him. She targeted specific points on the body, contorting an attacker into numerous uncomfortable positions and bending limbs in ways that were never meant to bend, until he was left prone on the floor. She also knew how to flip a man over her shoulder and land him flat on his back. Her goal had not been to engage the police or start beating up random men in the streets, Edith was training women to fight back against men who used their size, strength, and status to assault them. As the press got wind of her classes, though, they began running satirical articles and cartoons at her expense. After all, how could a few dozen of them trained in martial arts ever hope to stand up to organized police? Well, they did. And they did it as a team. They called themselves the Bodyguard and made headlines protecting important members of the women's suffrage movement. In one instance, they'd been tasked with keeping outspoken activist Emmeline Pankhurst safe from arrest at a major speaking event. The bodyguard were arranged on stage in a half-circle behind the podium, a bouquet of flowers in each woman's hand. Pankhurst crossed the stage to address the crowd, and she wasn't more than a few minutes into her speech when the cops burst in. Fifty officers ran toward the stage, their batons raised high above their heads, ready to strike. But the suffragette warriors had come prepared, Buried in the leaves of their bouquets were strands of barbed wire, which the bodyguard members swung at the police in an effort to keep them from getting to Pankhurst. In the end, though, they failed their mission. Pankhurst was taken into custody. But sometime later, she got her revenge, and her bodyguards were there once again to help. It happened as Pankhurst gave another speech, this time from the balcony of a home in London's Camden Square. As expected, the police showed up and waited outside for her to finish and come downstairs, But when she finally stepped outside, she was surrounded by women from the bodyguard who tried to keep the cops at bay. Their efforts proved fruitless as officers rushed Pankhurst and shoved her to the pavement. They hauled her to her feet and pulled back the veil and quickly realized that they had been played. The person they'd captured was a member of the bodyguard, standing in as a decoy, while the real Pankhurst had slipped away during the struggle. Thanks to Edith Garud and her students, the suffragettes showed men all over England that they were not to be trifled with. They were strong, they were smart, and they were clever. The press dubbed them Amazons, armed with iron wills and a fearsome fighting style that they referred to as suffragettes.
0: Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now.
1: This episode is sponsored by Intuit. and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, intui to start living yours. Let's get into it.
0: Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
1: James Jeffrey was a bit of an overachiever. Born in Scotland in 1759, he grew up to chair both the botany and anatomy departments at Glasgow University. As the head of two burgeoning scientific fields, especially where anatomy was concerned, he was often at the forefront of new discoveries. Unfortunately, his methods were not always sound. He was once accused of stealing a woman's body from a cemetery for research purposes. His home was attacked, and his reputation was tarnished, until he was absolved of any charges. In November of 1818, Jeffrey dissected the body of Matthew Clydesdale, a murderer who had been recently hanged. But while dissection provided the professor with further understanding of the human body, it still didn't tell him everything. For example, he wanted to know the effects of electricity on the central nervous system. So, he hooked Clydesdale's remains up to an early battery called a voltaic pile and passed a current through the corpse. The deceased man's hand and fingers twitched in the operating theater as students and other professors looked on in horror. It sounds cruel, But Jeffrey performed these experiments so that he could better treat the living. By knowing the internal structure of the body and how it reacted to specific stimuli, he was able to devise new methods of treatment for the sick and injured. Pregnant women benefited the most from Jeffrey's advanced knowledge. If a childbirth proved particularly difficult, maybe due to the size of the fetus or the position, the prevailing method of freeing the baby was called symphysiotomy. It was a painful procedure where the pelvic area was expanded by cutting through cartilage, ligaments, and even bone with a sharp knife. Recovery, though, was a long, complicated process that often led to other health issues later. Dr. Jeffrey knew that a better way was possible, and so he teamed up with fellow Scottish surgeon, John Aitken, to find one. They decided to start with the source of all their troubles, the knife. It took too long to use and caused too much pain. So, Aitken and Jeffrey devised a new kind of blade, one that was wrapped with a series of small, serrated segments. It featured two handles, one on either side, and the doctor using it would pull each handle from side to side across the bone, cutting through it more easily. Aitken went on to modify the design to include a hand crank. No longer would someone have to drag the blade back and forth. As they turned the crank, the chain would move on its own, allowing for greater control during cutting. As time passed and technology advanced, the device changed as well. Bernard Hein, a German orthopedist, came up with his own version in 1830. He called it the osteotome, translated from Latin to literally mean bone cutter, and its uses grew from simply aiding in childbirths to other procedures, such as amputations. It wasn't until 1906 when the osteotome was modified once again, but this time it wouldn't be used to slice through bone. Samuel J. Benz, a man from San Francisco wanted to cut down a few giant redwoods in the forest and needed something faster and easier to use than his axe. So he filed a patent for a larger, more powerful iteration of the osteotome, one that could fell a tree in minutes instead of hours. Thirteen years later, James Shand of Canada would be granted his own patent for such a machine, the rights of which he would lose in 1930. After that, German tool company Festo took the idea and turned it into a full fledged business. That original design that had started in Scotland so many years before was now much larger. It ran on electricity and could cut through almost anything, mainly wood. Symphysiotomies were eventually abandoned in favor of safer, more medically sound techniques, like the C-section. However, the device invented by two Scottish surgeons in the late 18th century would go on to change the face of several different industries, including construction, logging, and forestry. And let's not forget the sound of its whirring teeth, which have provided countless nightmares for fans of horror movies over the past few decades. All thanks to the device we now call... The Chainsaw. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey.